0: Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's Sermon Podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today's a good day. It's a really good day. Excited to be here with you, even if our projector isn't working. Um, What a fun little switch of things, you know, when you've got to change things up really quickly and do things differently. But for those of you at home, uh, it seems there's probably been no difference for you. Words still showed up on the screen and you were good. But here we had to print off words for everybody uh, and get everything out. So thank you for being being, uh, kind as we've been getting this stuff figured out. Well, before we had the internet renowned artist Andy Warhol uh, famously predicted this he said in the future everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes i see people looking around was did the screen pop up for a second oh you guys are looking back there if you really want to see some of the quotes i'm giving it's on the screen on the wall back there those of you at home of course it'll be on your screen But you can see him back there. But that's going to be a weird thing if you're always kind of looking behind you, like this. I'm going to wonder what's going on. But now I know, and I think we're fine. So Andy Warhol said, "In the future, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes." Of course, we have an expression that we say now. We talk about our 15 minutes of fame, and that came from Andy Warhol. Uh, Fast forward to the internet age, and that prediction has come true. You don't have to be internet savvy to know that people are getting their 15 minutes of fame, sometimes for wonderful things that are happening, and sometimes for ridiculous things that are happening. If you've tripped and fallen or if you've broken something and someone happened to be there to videotape it, it probably made you famous for a short little while. But one thing that you may not be aware of is the backlash that these 15-minuters are experiencing Take, for example, the Chewbacca mask lady. Now, you might not know what I'm talking about here, but about five years ago, there was a woman in the States who bought this Chewbacca mask at a store. Now, Chewbacca is the hairy guy from Star Wars, if you didn't know who that was but she bought this Chewbacca mask, and she was in her vehicle, and, and she must have had a, a small following of people uh, who are watching her videos, because she's recording herself and talking to her small group of fans, and she's putting on this mask, and every time she would open her mouth, it makes the Wookiee sound, rah, that kind of sound, and she starts laughing hysterically, and it's this wonderful four-minute video, it's all it is, four-minute video, basically of this woman making the Chewbacca sound and laughing hysterically. It was it's, it's a fantastic video. It, it's nothing. There's nothing. You don't learn anything in this video. It doesn't improve your life in any way, except you laugh, which I think is actually a fantastic thing as well. Well, she posted this four-minute video to Facebook, and wouldn't you know it, it, it became the most watched Facebook video of all time. It has over 140 million views on Facebook alone, not counting other streaming ways like YouTube. It's unbelievable how famous this person became. And with this fame came a bunch of free stuff. The store that she bought this mask from, she mentions it in her video, and so they gave her a bunch of free stuff. Star Wars gave her a bunch of free stuff. She just got all this free stuff. She got invitations to go to late night talk shows. Um, she got invitations to come and speak at different things where she got paid to come and speak. She even got scholarships, up like $400,000 worth of scholarships to the university that her kids wanted to go to. It's unbelievable how famous. Or, how much happened to this woman for this four minute video? But it didn't take long for things to turn quickly sour on the interwebs. People began to defame her, people began to ridicule her, people were upset that she was famous. It seems fame is fleeting, and the internet fandom is an incredibly fickle group. Uh, this pattern has repeated itself time and time again. Someone gets 15 minutes of fame, the world loves them, they get viewed by everybody, and then quickly the world turns on them and hates them immensely. The internet scholars have a name for this. It happens so often they have a name for it. They call it milkshake duck. Yep, you heard it right. Milkshake Duck. It's a funny name, isn't it? It's simply a a term to define what's happening here when a person gets 15 minutes of fame for something charming or fun-loving or just for something, only to lose it rather quickly. As the masses turn against them. Sometimes the masses find something about them that's unsavory, some other video that they posted that was not a very kind video, or sometimes they're just fickle that way and they just turn on the person almost in the blink of an eye. Chewbacca mask lady got milkshake ducked. The entire world turned against her. Now the internet didn't exist 2,000 years ago, but people still became famous. And they also had their milkshake duck moments. Today we're going to look at one of those moments. Because today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Here's what went down that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. For three years, Jesus Christ had been touring Israel. He was healing the sick. He was was commanding the demons to come out of people, setting people free. He was loving people. He was revealing to people the, the face of the Father. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God here at hand. Now, Jesus comes to the point... This week, what we're celebrating, he comes to this moment, 2,000 years ago, the moment that his whole ministry had kind of been pointing to. In fact, not just his ministry, but all of history. Since the beginning of the world, since Adam and Eve bit into that forbidden fruit, all of history had been pointing forward to a sacrifice that was going to happen, that was going to once and for all pay for everything the sacrifice that was going to save mankind. All of history was looking forward to this moment. Everything Jesus did was pointing to this moment, this moment that was about to take place. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is at the center of all of history. Everything in history before the crucifixion pointed to it, and everything in in history that has happened since then, it points back to the crucifixion. Everything everything in all of the world that we understand points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And here on that first Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, we read about the beginning of the crucifixion week. Now, each of the Gospels tells a different aspect of of this story and includes some different little tidbits about what was happening. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all see the crucifixion from a slightly different angle, and they talk about little different things that are happening from each of their perspectives. So I encourage you later on to look through all the Gospels. We're going to jump in a little bit here and there there, uh, as we talk about Palm Sunday and the week of the crucifixion week. But I encourage you, like I said, to read the scriptures later for yourself. Palm Sunday, or as the heading in your, some of your Bibles might say, the triumphal entry, occurred on Sunday, six days before the day of Passover. Now, the day of Passover was on a Saturday, the Sabbath day. But the celebration of Passover took a place the whole week. People were already on their way to Jerusalem. They were already arriving in Jerusalem. But people from all around the known world at that time, if you were Jewish or you were a God-fearing person, you would head towards Jerusalem for this week because this was an important, important week to be in Jerusalem. And so people were heading this direction. They were already celebrating all week long the celebration of Passover. Jerusalem was stuffed to the gills with people ready to celebrate and in John's gospel, we read about the triumphal entry in, cha- in chapter 12, John chapter 12. But immediately preceding this moment, of course, is John chapter 11. And do you know what happens in John chapter 11? In John chapter 11, Jesus has one of his most amazing miracles occur. One of the most amazing miracles of Jesus happens in John chapter 11. So we're going to take a quick look at John chapter 11. So we can get some context as to what's happening as Jesus walks into Jerusalem one chapter later. So in John chapter 11, Jesus finds out that his his friend Lazarus was very sick. In fact, before Jesus gets to where Lazarus is, Lazarus dies. But Jesus heads off to where Lazarus is, and Lazarus lives, lives in a place called Bethany. Lazarus is the brother of the famous Mary and Martha duo that you may have heard about. Jesus shows up to Mary and Martha's house in the town of Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, four days after Lazarus has already been put in the tomb dead. So Lazarus has died, he's been put in the tomb, and four days have passed, and here Jesus shows up. Now, lots of people were there. It seems that Lazarus probably belonged to more of a well-to-do family because there are a ton of, there's tons of people there that are, that are weeping and wailing. In fact, Lazarus, uh, one of the reasons why we know that Lazarus probably belongs to a wealthier family is they had paid mourners that had shown up to this funeral. Now, Jewish funerals usually last like a week. So here, four days later, there are crowds of people still hanging out at the tomb of Lazarus. So in front of this crowd of people, Jesus steps up and he says to them, roll away the tomb, roll away the stone that's covering the the mouth of this tomb, which the people are very hesitant to do. Of course, it's been four days. Even Martha, the sister of Lazarus, kind of objects a little bit and says to Jesus, this is it out of the King James, which I think is the best way to read this line, because here's what Martha says. She looks at Jesus and says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. What a great way to say it, right? Every time you read this passage, you've got to read it in the King James. Lord, by this time, he stinketh. Nevertheless, they Jesus convinces them, roll away the the stone, and they do so. So they roll the stone away from the grave. Jesus calls out to Lazarus, tells him to come on out, and Lazarus does. Lo and behold, he comes out of the grave, fully alive, and wrapped all up in grave clothes. They have to take the grave clothes off of him, the cloths that are wrapped around him, to free him from that. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's an amazing miracle amazing miracle that happens. Now get this. The next verse in John says this. It's John chapter 11, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Isn't that wonderful? They see the miracle. They see Jesus has the authority to raise the dead from, from, from death, to raise them to life, and they believe in Jesus. But then here's the next sentence. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So some believed, some saw what Jesus did and must have been hearing stories from Mary, and they believed in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees to tattletale and tell them what Jesus had done. And get this, this is even better. The religious elite, right away, the next couple of sentences say this. The religious elite called together a a, a meeting. To talk about what had just happened. They discussed how horrible it would be if Jesus began to get a large following. This would be the worst case scenario if people start to follow Jesus. That would be horrible. Why? Because we will begin to lose our power. And so they plotted together to kill Jesus. Now, just let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead for four days. Raises Lazarus from the dead in front of many witnesses, many who give their life over to following Jesus. And the religious elite want to kill him. They want to kill him so they don't lose their own power. What a crazy thing. What a crazy thing. It's on the heels of this story That six days before Passover, the crucifixion, six days before that, on Palm Sunday, Jesus heads to Jerusalem. The crowd from Bethany, who had just witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, hear about where Jesus is going, and they're like, we're in. We just saw this guy raise raise somebody from the dead. We're going to follow him wherever he goes. So they're like, we're going to Jerusalem. Let's go. So they follow Jesus to Jerusalem. And not only that, but you already know... Jerusalem is stuffed to the gills with people, and there are people in Jerusalem celebrating the beginning of the Passover week, the beginning of the the week that they're going to, to, to sacrifice the Passover lamb. They're there in Jerusalem, and they hear Jesus, the Jesus that we've been hearing about, whether they've been hearing good things or bad things, the crown in Jerusalem hear that Jesus is coming. And so it's like there's this huge crowd following Jesus from Bethany, and he meets this gigantic crowd coming from Jerusalem to see this Jesus that everybody's been talking about. So here we have this gigantic crowd of people watching Jesus enter into Jerusalem. Now, it might not be 140 million people like the Chewbacca lady had watching this, but there were a lot of people there to see Jesus arrive in Jerusalem. Why? Was it just out of curiosity, do you think, that they showed up to see Jesus coming in? I mean, there were a lot of famous people at the time. There were a lot of famous Pharisees. There were a lot of famous rulers. There were all kinds of famous people that are around at that time that they could have run to see. I think that they had something different in mind. Let's look at this passage. So in the, the, the telling of the story of the triumphal entry, here's what happens. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and the people begin waving palm branches. You guys have fake palm branches on your table. We could not get, like, the real ones, because that's crazy, right? But you've got the fake ones on your table. But they're waving palm branches around. They're laying their coats in front of Jesus as he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem, and they're singing a song. This is like a celebration time. And they're saying, Hosanna, which means save us. In John chapter 12, verse 13, they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Blessed is the King of Israel. And two of the gospel writers add a verse from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah is a fantastic um, Old Testament prophet. He's one of the minor prophets, one of the last ones to prophesy uh, before we have the 400 years of kind of like nothing happening. Uh, But Zechariah prophesies, and here's how John records it in John chapter 12. He says, Do not be afraid. This is from Zechariah. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So this was prophesied. That there was going to be a dude coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Your king! Your king was coming. The the crowds had, had gathered to see Jesus arrive in Jerusalem. But not just as Jesus. They were hoping to see King Jesus. King Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And they were right to think that King Jesus was coming. Because this was prophesied. And here Jesus comes. The one who they thought would overthrow the nasty Romans and finally lead Israel into the golden age. All of Israel was under the subjugation of Rome. And they had been calling for the Messiah to come, come and free us from this tyranny of the Romans. And this is what they're hoping for, that Jesus would come as a conqueror. And at first, Jesus does not disappoint. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that the very next thing that Jesus does after he comes into Jerusalem is that he goes into the temple area and clears out the marketplace that had been set up in the court of Gentiles. You guys know about this story because we talk about it a lot nowadays. Jesus went into the, into the temple where they had set up a marketplace in the place that the Gentile people were supposed to come and hear about God. They were all set up there. He, he chases them out. He says to them, "'My house will be called a house of prayer.'" but you are making it a den of robbers. He, he fashions a whip out of some cords. He whips the, mar- the, the money changers. He whips all the animals. He drives them all out and clears out the temple. Now, this might have irked the religious elite. Of course, it would have. That's one of the sources of their power and their money, but it certainly spurred on the crowd. They were there to see Jesus, the conqueror, take on the Romans, And maybe Jesus had to do a kind of a side stop first and clear out the temple. But surely, when they saw Jesus do this, surely Jesus was, in the very next breath, going to go take out the Romans as well. Surely Jesus was going to free them from all of the oppression they had been having. Well, the next few days were full for Jesus, up to a third of each of the Gospels are devoted to, to these few days between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion. Up to a third of our Gospels are devoted to these few days. Jesus continues to teach about the kingdom of God. He tells some unforgettable parables. He prays extensively, extensively for his disciples. He prepares them for what's about to come. He, he never stops talking about his death. I mean, this is like the height of fame. And he just keeps talking about he's going to die pretty soon. He's about to die. He focuses his disciples with laser focus on the crucifixion. It's about to happen, you guys. And while the crowds mostly stayed with Jesus for these few days, what they really wanted to see was Jesus continue to do what he had started with the triumphal entry and with the clearing out of the temple. They wanted to see Jesus overcome the Romans. And yes, he cleared out the temple, but he didn't clear out the temple to overthrow the authority, but to prepare the holy place for the perfect sacrifice. And it wasn't going to be a sacrifice of a lamb. It was going to be the sacrifice of himself. And Jesus wouldn't win the day with might and power. Jesus won the day with humility and with the self-sacrificial obedience of his heavenly Father. By Friday of this week, this Passion Week, this Passover week, by Friday of this week, only five days after his triumphal entry, where the world cheered him on, Jesus would be turned on, completely turned on, hated, and deserted by almost every single person. But the most lonely, desperate, and devastating moment in Jesus' life The crucifixion, where it looked like agony, that moment became the greatest triumph of all of history. See, on the cross, yes, the Prince of Peace died. An innocent man, God who had come down in flesh. But on the cross, sin was defeated. Satan was defeated. Shame Condemnation, guilt, they were defeated. Brokenness, separation from God, illegitimacy, abandonment, isolation, insignificance, they were defeated by the cross. And you and I and everyone who trusts in Jesus' name, the sacrifice of Jesus saved us. Love won, life won, Forgiveness won. Freedom won. Jesus won. You and I, we won. And Israel might not have found freedom from the Romans like they expected, but the whole world found freedom from death. The whole world. And this is what makes Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry not, not just for Jerusalem, but for the whole world. It's that Jesus died not just for them, but for everyone You know, very few people in this world make a difference that is world-changing. The people who get their 15 minutes of fame nowadays get milkshake-ducked and lose their celebrity rather quickly. And even the people who are able to hang on to that stardom rarely use it for any kind of lasting impact. But Jesus, even though he had been milkshake-ducked and continues to be so time and time again, Jesus has overcome the whole world and continues to make a lasting impact in billions and billions of lives because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved because of his sacrifice on the cross have you called on the name of the Lord have you called on the name of the Lord those of you that are home those of you that are here in the in the building have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was for you and for your families and for your friends and for your neighbors. It was the beginning of his march towards the cross, the crucifixion that paid for you and for I to have life eternal. His sacrifice on the cross was for us. His death, death was payment for our sins. Jesus took upon himself our guilt Jesus gave us life so that we could have eternal life. No more shame, no more condemnation, no more fear, no more separation from God. Jesus has set us free. He set us free. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? There's no magic words to do this. There's, there's no special prayer that you have to pray. It's a heart posture. Now, turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Hosanna. Jesus, save me. Save me. Save me from my guilt. Save me from my fear. Save me from my separation from God and set me free. Save me, Jesus. Now here's a spoiler alert, and if you don't like spoilers, you might want to just cover your ears for a moment. But the story doesn't end with Jesus' death. All of history is focused around these few days. Jesus' sacrifice changed the whole world, but he didn't stay dead. But you're going to have to come back next week to hear more of the story. So I encourage you this week, if you get a chance to read some of the stories that happened um, during the the Passion Week, the week leading up to uh, the crucifixion, um, One of my favorite stories is what Jesus did with his disciples the night before he went to the cross as he sat down with his disciples and he washed their feet. How amazing that the way that Jesus overcame was not by power or might, by by humility and sacrifice. So let's just pray as we pray this benediction Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence and that you sent your Son, Jesus, for us. And Jesus, we are so grateful as we hear this story again of the triumphal entry and your coming into Jerusalem and your sacrifice for us. We're so thankful for what you've done. And now, Lord, I just bless your church. I bless your church to experience your presence in a whole new way today that even as we didn't talk about the resurrection today, but, Lord, you've placed resurrection life in every single one of us. And so, Lord, help us to experience the resurrection life, that we would not take this for granted, Lord, that we we would fully experience all that you bought and paid for, We speak against shame and guilt and condemnation in Jesus Christ's name. We pray against it right now. You died, that that would be gone. We pray against the hold of Satan in our lives. You prayed that that would be gone. Help us to experience the full freedom of the cross and your victory over death. Uh, Jesus, help us, Lord, to be emboldened, even this week, emboldened, as we proclaim the message that Jesus Christ has died for you. He's died to set you free. Help us, Lord, to have opportunities to proclaim that gospel truth. May you be honored and glorified, Lord, and speak to our hearts. Continue to lead us and guide us. We give you honor and glory and praise, Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today. You're dismissed. thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com, as well as you can find us on Facebook, or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.